no one wants me talking about winter right now in the summertime, but I, I'm going to. There, there's nothing I love more than knowing that first big snowstorm is coming. And we're just going to sit in our home. Maybe we're going to turn on our fireplace. We're going to watch some movies. Doesn't that sound good? Jeanette, doesn't that sound good? Sounds so good. Now, but we can agree we love, we love alone time, right? I, I, I love alone time. I love, love times just to myself. But who knows there's a difference between alone time and isolation. There's a huge difference between that. And this series that we have been going through, Living Above the Fray, it's a snapshot of the challenges and decisions that Daniel and his friends had to make that were counterculture. And we need to understand, because Daniel is a perfect example of this, that, that our circumstances should not determine how we approach or make decisions in society. So we should reflect our culture, or we should not, excuse me, reflect our culture in society. We should not reflect our political affiliation. We should not be people that reflect what the world displays. We should display the living God. Believers and people throughout history have brought a sense of clarity to who God was, and that's why we go through the book of Daniel. We should not reflect the world to introduce Christian principles. Are you guys hearing me? But we should at all times reflect the kingdom of God. So here you have Daniel and his friends. They've been brought to a foreign place. And we talked about the challenge of identity in week one. And then we talked about the challenge of idolatry where they, they wanted everyone to bow down to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had made. And then last week we talked about Daniel's challenge of integrity. And this week we're going to see something different. We're going to see his challenge in isolation. What we've found so far is Daniel and his friends, they were committed to God no matter what. And I think that this is significant because I want you to think about Christians today, Christians right now. We want to incrementalize our commitments. What we want to do is we only want to commit so much of ourselves to certain things, including the church. You guys hearing me? Because there is, there is so little of us to go around to all the things that we dedicate ourselves to. So we spread out our commitments. Or you might decide, even with God, I just want to give a little bit of myself slowly. I'll build myself up fully for what God wants to do in my life or the church. I can do that over time. These could all be reasons why Christians don't appear to be all in, completely sold out to God. And we're going to talk about Daniel here in a second. And this is a guy who's dedicated to the Lord. And he separates himself from the rest of Babylon because he wants to practice godly living in an ungodly world. Who kind of knows what that feels like? 
You know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I want to read that again because it's so counter culture, our Western Christianese beliefs, isn't it? Let's read that again. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Scripture teaches us that if you are dedicated to God, you are going to suffer being part of this world. So we as believers, we need to read that. We need to stop embracing this Western belief that if you're being persecuted, well, God must not be for me. Jesus said if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. And there are going to be times in our life where you look around and you feel like you are standing alone in your principles and your faith. You're going to feel isolated. Today, what we're going to do, we're going to do something a bit different because we're, we're going to break this down. We're going to read almost all of Daniel chapter 6. But we're going to break it down like you're, you're reading a play. Because we, we, we start out and we see this section of Scripture, these, just verses 1 through 3. And we're going to call it good trouble. Who knows there are good problems to have? Okay? So let's read this, Daniel chapter 6, just verses 1 through 3 for right now. It says, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability. The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Who hears that and thinks about everything Daniel has been through? This is a man who was in, who, he's in exile. His people were taken from Jerusalem. They're wandering in Babylon. He is in exile. And do you see what God has done? Do you remember what we talked about last week? The previous king, Belshazzar, Daniel was just, at the time, he was hidden. No one knew about him really anymore except the queen mother brought him. Hey, Belshazzar, consider this man. Who has the spirit of the gods in him is what he said. And now, King Darius is looking to appoint him over the entire empire. This is a reminder to you, church, as we talked about last week, of the character Daniel always displayed, and yet he is displaying it again. He was consistent with his walk in the Lord. Scene two, bad people. I want to read for you verses four and five. It says, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault. Everyone say fault. They began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely 
trustworthy. So they concluded, listen to this, they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Who knows that the words that Jesus tells us to live by, if you follow them to a T, if you were to read the Sermon on the Mount and you were going to follow everything Jesus instructed within the Sermon on the Mount, people are not going to be able to find fault in you. They're not. But if they attack your belief system, they will. If they attack your belief system, Think about it this way. They had no problem with Daniel until he was given authority over them. You ever became a, a, a supervisor or a boss in your workforce and you were, you were hired over some other people and next thing you know, it's like, I don't like them anymore. But they also, with Daniel, they decided he is different than us. So we're going to attack him through his religion. They were hoping for inconsistencies, but Daniel wasn't a liar. And any way they could try and find fault in him, I want you to look at it as people always waiting, always watching to see you trip up. That's what's going on with Daniel. And he was set apart from all of them because of his relationship with God. And church, I am telling you, and I want you to listen to me in this, if you follow Jesus Christ, you should be the best worker in your place of business. Okay? You should be consistent in what you say. You should never be caught in lies, jealousies of other employees, not caught up in gossip or drama. If you find yourself caught up in any part of that, do God and everyone in this room a favor and stop promoting him in your life. Seriously, because if we start promoting God when there are so many inconsistencies in our life, the world is looking at that and saying, I don't want any part of that church. I don't want any part of God. I saw that KCCI put an article out yesterday that said, There are less believers of God in the United States than ever before. That was out yesterday, I believe, or Friday. I'm going to tell you why. Our inconsistencies. It's our inconsistencies. It's from placating to the world. It's from not maintaining a standard in our own lives. With Daniel, there was always transparency, always authenticity, always honest. They could find no fault in him. Let the world find no fault in you. Let the world find no fault in you. Let's pick up verses 6 through 9. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. 
And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Let me tell you something about this king. You might not have seen it up to this point because he's made some good decisions. He's wanting to appoint Daniel over everything. He's an egomaniac. He is an egomaniac. And they, they feed into his narcissism. They know exactly what he needs to hear in order to trip Daniel up. They're, they're only stroking his ego to get their way. Right? And so they knew that they would be dividing him against this man that he wants to place over everything. And I'm going to tell you, we, we can learn some things about Darius here. Because any leader that feels they need to be behind every plan or narrative, they always need to receive the accolades, is not a good leader to follow. And I'd go as far as saying they're a dangerous person. And so they're looking at Darius and they're seeing this egomaniac that he wants all the accolades and he's making some good decisions. He's listening to advisors, but it is still all about him. And they made this decision, they made this agreement because they knew that Darius looked in the mirror constantly and said, oh, you are something. And they duped him. They duped him. They caused him to be manipulated. And church, I'm telling you something. Humility is for our protection. You hear me? When you humble yourself, you free yourself to focus on the bigger picture. And you, so you, you focus yourself. This is, this is what we should do. Focus yourself on what is right, not just what you want. And fathers, teach your children the value of humility. Scene three. Immovable commitment. Verse 10 says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Aren't you fascinated that Daniel learns of this plot and immediately decides, nothing is changing in my life? He didn't sit there and wrestle with God, what should I do? It said, he went home as usual to pray. Prayed three times a day, just as he had always done. Church, you're going to feel the pressure from the world. You're going to feel the pressure. As we move further along, in the United States, and we get more progressive and more progressive, you are going to feel the pressure, and I'm telling you, do not compromise who you are. 
recognize what God has done in your life, and, and that perhaps, think about this, that perhaps God has placed you in these moments to let the world see the value of following God. A scholar said in reference to Daniel, he said, it is not a question of sin he would not commit, but a positive duty he would not omit. When God tells us, instructs us in what to do, and we are obedient in that, you should be progressively getting more disciplined, following out after God more, praying more, seeking Him more, and you should not let anything get in the way of that. Daniel recognized he got into that position in life. Think about this. He got into that position because of his commitment to God. And if he got in position that way, he was willing to go out that way too. A man who was in exile was getting ready to be put in charge of a nation. Amazing. Let's pick up verses 11 through 13. It says, Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, Will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands as an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Notice how they have manipulated him. Notice how they have put him in a corner to try and make it personal with Daniel. What he is doing is directly against the king. And what I want you to do is I want you to watch how God uses this to deal with Darius. And he's going to break down his pride and ego as he has done with previous kings. He had to learn that you don't go ahead of God and win. Because God does not share his glory with anyone. Let's look at verses 14 through 15. It says, hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians... No law that the king signs can be changed. Right then, Darius knows he's been set up. He realizes they wanted to eliminate Daniel. And there's two implications we see here. Because the king, he did everything he could to change the law. But the law of the Medes and the Persians, what they're saying is, at that time, that meant it's a done deal. 
you sign that, it has to be carried out, or then all of our integrity as a nation is put into question. So he's backed into a corner. Number two, the sentence had to be carried out the same day. As a part of their law, it had to be carried out the same day as a crime. Verse 16 through 18. It says, so at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Here's the king. He's trapped. He feels like an idiot. And he goes home and he can't sleep. And I believe he started praying and fasting to Daniel's God at that moment. It seems very clear Daniel had a huge impact on his life. And all of a sudden, he is turning everything towards Daniel's God. Then verse 19. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. Now just imagine for a moment, last week we talked about Belshazzar, and we talked about that hand that appeared out of nowhere that truly brought fright to the king and all of his court. And it, chances are Darius knew about that hand of God. He had heard those stories. He probably heard the stories of what God had done previously in Daniel's life because Daniel was someone that he brought close by as a close confidant and was looking to turn everything over to him. So perhaps the moment that you and I are put to the test like Daniel was or put under pressure, the world is watching and waiting to see if what you believe is true. And you wonder why God allows persecution to happen. Because the world can see him move. So Darius is up and he's early the next day. And he's going in haste to see what happened. And this final scene that we're going to talk about is God's vindication. Let's pick up verse 20. It says, when he got there, he called out in anguish. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Imagine the, the, the moment that Darius, he's running. He is in tears. He is freaking out. He is wanting to see what happened. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, what we're going to see come to the forefront again is Daniel's character. Because Darius points to the faithfulness of one man yet again. Listen to what he says. Was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue you? Daniel answered, 
Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Let me tell you what I picture. I picture Darius beside himself, running there, tripping along the way, doing whatever he can to get there quick. The stones rolled back, everything is prepared. Daniel, or Darius, excuse me, is a nervous wreck as he yells out for Daniel. And I picture Daniel just sitting against the wall, relaxed. Maybe he's a cat person. And he is just there petting one of the lions, you know? He is totally relaxed. He has just spent a whole night with these things. He has seen God work, and he can sit there in confidence and boldness and exclaim what he exclaimed. I haven't done anything wrong. God finds no fault in me. And church, I, I, I read this and I do ask the question, there are people who truly suffer for their faith in this world. They're called the martyred. And I believe that each and every one of us is called to suffer for God. But those who are called to suffer for God will experience the deliverance of God. And here's the thing, they will experience that either here on this earth in a great powerful encounter or when they're taken up to heaven. They will experience the deliverance of God. In fact, Paul says in Romans 8, 28, you guys should know this verse. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I'm going to say this, I'm going to be very clear about this. If you're scared of death, stop living in fright. God determines when your time is up. He determines when your time is up. And no one, and I want you to hear this, no one can stop what God is doing in your life. You hear that? No one can stop it. Keep your eyes focused on the Lord no matter what. I'm telling you, because I, I used to be one of you, believe it or not. It's hard for young people to learn these truths, to stop competing against other people and just dedicate yourself to God and be happy with who God has created you to be. I'm telling you, jealousy of others is pointless. It's pointless. And God wants to do his own unique work in you. So accept that, embrace that, and nobody can take God's work from you. So don't be distracted by the things that come against you. God's going to use that. He's going to use that for his purpose. But now we pick up in the story. Darius sends for Daniel's accusers. 
and warning, this gets gruesome. Let's read verse 24. It says, Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. And I want you to understand that this was also a law of the Medes and the Persians at that time that if you were the head of the household and you committed a capital offense, that not only you died, but your entire household. Church, I want you to look at it this way. This is also a great picture of the end times. In the end, Nobody is going to get away with anything. And the truth for us is God's judgment is sure. There is going to be a day of reckoning for the world and it cannot be avoided. Believe it, church. So in wrapping this up, I just took some brief notes on this. I wanted to go through this story. I felt it was important. But I want to leave you with three takeaways. And these are going to be quick. First one is God has placed you where you are. God has placed you where you are. Don't give sovereignty to anyone or anything else. Give it to God. So often we credit power to something that should not hold power over us. There is no power, church, compared to God. And you might, you, you might say, Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't prop up anything else. But what we don't know is by the time we commit to things other than God, we are declaring it a Lord over our life. You hearing me? Maybe you look for signs in circumstances and you call it karma. Maybe you look to a person as powerful and supernatural. And I am telling you, church, we must embrace that everything good that we see on this earth, it comes from God. Listen to James 1.17. It says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Everything good comes from the throne of God. So I also want to encourage you in this, in where God has placed you in your life, don't look to your situation as evidence or lack thereof as God in your life. The question for us is, are we going to choose to glorify God through it all, no matter what befalls you? Are you going to give dedication and glory to Him through all things? Church, we need to remain obedient even if it is not the circumstances that you planned for or dreamed of. Number two, never stop shining your light. In those darkest moments has an opportunity for light to shine through the brightest. Have you ever turned on a flashlight in daylight? It's not that powerful. 
But in the darkness, that can light the way for a crowd. And I want to tell you something else because I've heard of a lot of Christians who have been discouraged lately. I'm going to say something. Some of you might need to write this down. Discouragement comes from a worldly perspective. Discouragement is a worldly perspective. Think about it this way. If God created you, if he gifted you his son, and he has given you the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and he has promised you also a home in heaven, you should not walk in discouragement. Those are the things that we should hold on to. Because if you are walking in Christ, if you're choosing obedience and seeking him, he will use you for his will. So don't fall for this belief, this false belief, that if, per, if persecution or suffering happens to you, that you've done something wrong. It could be that you are directly in the will of God. Also, I want to say to you that worldly perspective does start by comparing your story to others. You know, I even did that as a pastor. I was looking at a church that was across town when I was in Waterloo, and they were growing, and I'm like, I saw the things they were doing, and I'm like, we're doing those same things. How does that happen to them, and it it doesn't happen to us? And that's where a worldly perspective does come in because God calls us and appoints us for all different kinds of uses for his kingdom, and we just need to be obedient in that. But if we give in to jealousy, I want you to think about what jealousy can do. It can form anger. It can form discouragement. It can form resentment. And I know that as Daniel was in that kingdom under Belshazzar, he had to feel like a man who didn't gain traction, who wasn't going anywhere at the time. Yet today, and we know what he did through Darius, we we revere him as a man of consistency and integrity. And so church, appreciate the work that God has done in you and that he cares for you and he works through you and your story is not over yet. So no matter the pressure of the naysayers, keep focused on the Lord. Lastly, don't abandon the one who gives and sustains your life. You know what, church? All that favor from other people will not prepare you for eternity. How people look at you does not prepare you for eternity. Imagine just for a moment if Daniel would have gave into the pressure of Babylon and started praying to Darius. Imagine that. Maybe in that kingdom he still would have been honored and Darius would have been like, oh, thank God. I escaped that. But Daniel, had he done that, would have lost all favor from God. Do you see that? I have seen, and I'm sure you have seen it too, people completely abandon all their principles for a moment of public praise. Church, I'm telling you, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I don't know about you, but 
I will take unmerited favor from God any day than the, the, than, the, than the merit of the world. You hear what I'm saying? I will take that all day, every day. And the right decision for you, church, might be difficult because of the reaction of people. But it is through those decisions people see the Lord in your life. Brian, if you'd come. So lastly, church, cling to him. Cling to him in these times. And with that same resiliency to even a greater degree than you have before, that when that pressure comes even more, I'm going to squeeze even tighter. I want to remind you that after the law was made, it said Daniel knelt down as usual. He didn't change anything. He wouldn't let anything deter his relationship with the Father. And so, guys, I'm telling you, don't let go of God, the author of your life, the one who has marked you for eternity. No matter family pressure, no matter work pressure, I don't care if it costs you your job. I don't care if it costs you your family. I don't want it to cost you eternity. And so we have to be resilient in this truth that we have found that God sent his son to a lost and dying world that whoever chooses to believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is what I cling to. I've found that truth and I am not letting go because I can't help but look around when I was without the Lord and see that there is an intelligent designer who loves and cares for us, who did a delicate, intricate work, and that his spirit calls out to us, and we have an opportunity to respond. But I also know he is a God that has this perfect standard. And there have been times that same spirit has convicted me and I've realized I have not lived up to that standard. That's why I need his son, Jesus Christ. And so you and I, what we have an opportunity to do is we have an opportunity to say, God, I choose your son to, and that sacrifice that occurred for me, that that blood was poured out for me because I have not measured up to your standard, but I am going to stay resilient for you. And church, that's not just an emotional decision that's made in a moment with what's going on in your life and depending on how the preacher preached that Sunday. It is about how you step out that door and the decisions that you start making once you step out those doors. We can have the greatest altar service in this room and you can go home and nothing has changed. It's not okay. It's not okay. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of things, decisions need to be made today that you're not going to do that anymore. You have to actively make those changes. You know, Jesus was so desperate in illustrating this point. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Because it is better to lose an eye than miss out on the kingdom of God. 
So I want you to know this is how serious that is. Jesus is saying it's better for you to lose a limb. So don't make any decision based out of just an emotional moment. Make it because you know active change is needed for the rest of your life. So I ask that you bow your heads. Perhaps you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need to actively choose Jesus. I need to actively choose resiliency. Maybe it's because you're living in sin or maybe it's because you've caved to the pressure of others. I, I, I don't know. But you feel the Holy Spirit working on your heart and you want to choose at this moment whom you will serve and dedicate yourself to Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. And if that is you and you say, Pastor, today I want to choose Jesus. I want to choose that resiliency. I ask that you just look at me. If there's anyone in this room, praise God. Praise God. You know what? I realize life has its challenges. And in 1 Peter, Peter says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. I'm telling you, He gives you the strength to carry through if you choose Him. And so what we're going to do is today, we're going to call on God and declare that His Son came to this earth to live and die for us, that we might stand victorious. And we are going to stand victorious through it all, no matter what comes against us. So whether you're looking or you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're going to pray right now. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for those who have made commitments today that they look up and they said, Pastor, I need that resiliency. I need Jesus Christ in my life. That God, no matter what comes against us, Lord, we will not cave to the world's pressures because eternity is too important, God. That relationship with you is also too valuable, God, that we should forsake it. So God, right now, we proclaim that Jesus Christ came down to this earth to live amongst men, God, as fully God and fully man. That, Lord, he went to that cross, a blameless, sinless person, And that at that cross, God, he took on the sins of the world so that we might be forgiven in your sight. And Lord, that blood that was shed on that cross is what we claim today that covers our sins. That God, you can look down on us and you can see a church that is pure, that is righteous, Father, because of what your son Jesus Christ did. Lord, I pray that we look to him each and every day to help carry us through and understand and fathom what he took on that cross for us as individuals. I praise you and thank you, Father, for that sacrifice.
Lord, you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.